So this is Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, the millennial reign of Jesus on earth, and we're in our third week in going through this. We have an exciting message this morning. Today, the focus is on the first and second resurrections. Revelation 24 to 6. I'm just going to quickly run through our game plan. So this is the order of events. We are here in the church age. So this is us here on the earth. But the rapture will happen soon. And all the believers go to heaven and they get the glorified body on the way. Those who are not believers go into the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, the time of judgment, with the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff, the mark of the beast, all that stuff's in there. Then at the end of the seven years, Jesus comes back and we come back with him. The unbelievers from the tribulation, Jew and Gentile, go to Hades or hell. And the believing people from the tribulation, they go into the millennial reign. And they are still in their physical flesh and blood bodies. And they have kids. And so anyone who survives the tribulation as a believer goes into the millennial reign, the thousand-year ruling reign of Jesus Christ on earth. So it's a thousand-year millennial reign, the kingdom of God on earth. This is where Jesus rules from Jerusalem, and he has a perfect reign, a perfect righteousness, which is enforced over all the earth. Satan is locked up, and all the demons with him, I believe. And there's no more deception from Satan. So all the demons and all the demonic forces are all locked up for this entire period, a thousand-year millennial reign, and it's perfect as we were talking the other day, you turn the TV on and there's no swearing, there's no blasphemy, all the shows point to Jesus. You go to the internet and there's no pornography, there's nothing. You know, you can't find pornography on this earth. It's not there. It's a different world system. It's a world system of righteousness. So, at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released because these people who were born in this time, in the millennium, they still have to choose to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. and those who choose not to because of the pride of their sinful nature will choose to turn to Satan or follow Satan when he's released. It's a final war. God destroys him real quick. And then this whole earth and heaven will be destroyed and God will make a new earth, a new heaven, and everybody will have their glorified bodies. So in the millennial reign, we'll have the church with their glorified bodies, the resurrected Old Testament believers with their glorified bodies, the resurrected tribulation believers with their glorified bodies. That's a new body designed to live forever. And plus you'll have people in still mortal bodies. So we have both. And these ones are having kids. And these people will get their resurrection bodies at the end so they can go into the new heavens and new earth. So yeah, that's basically the game plan. I'll leave it up so you can keep looking at it as we refer to those things as we go through. So I'll pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this really exciting topic, Lord, talking about the resurrection, the two resurrections, the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust, the resurrection of life, and you could say the resurrection of death and condemnation. So I thank you that you've shown us these things. Lord, these things give us hope 
but they also put fear into us for the destiny, the eternal destiny of our unsaved family and friends and all the unsaved people in the world. Give us a heart that wants to reach out and share the gospel with these people who don't know you as their Lord and Saviour, yet we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, the millennium reign of Jesus on earth, and we're in our third week in going through this. We've covered um, the first three verses previously about Satan and him being locked up and why, and also spent a bit of time talking about our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and how powerful they are, but how we can overcome them. Today, the focus is on the first and second resurrections. Revelation 24 to 6. So, the first resurrection is a resurrection unto life. The second resurrection is unto death and eternal condemnation. Now, <laughs> you've probably heard all the jokes about the pearly gates. Yeah? That's false, okay? Many people have this false idea that when we die, we'll all stand at the pearly gates and Peter will stand at the gate and decide if we can enter, if you've been good enough. You know, it's a bit like Father Christmas, whether you get presents or not. <laughs> it's not right because, one, Peter doesn't qualify to judge us. And secondly, this lie comes out of some faulty theology that started with the Catholic Church, or even before that, back in the 3rd and 4th centuries. And the idea, this false doctrine, is that people, all people, will stand before the judgment seat together. And we're going to be judged to see whether or not we made it, if we're good enough to get into heaven. But the fact is, if you're in the first resurrection, you've already made it. And if you're in the second resurrection, you haven't made it. You're eternally condemned. Okay, And that choice you make is made while you are alive on earth. So we're going to read the entire chapter of Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 15 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was a devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now this is at the end of the tribulation, before the millennium, before the thousand years. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So that's the last battle, that's what we just read is this bit here. 
the final war at the end of the millennial period. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, let's start at verse 4. And this is going to set us up to understand what this chapter tells us about the first resurrection and the second death. So, Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who's this? It doesn't actually say, does it? If you read the verse there, it doesn't say who it is. But we do have some clues, all right? I think the most probable interpretation is that they are the 24 elders, redeemed from every nation by the blood of Jesus, made kings and priests to God, who are said to reign on the earth. And that's Revelation 5, 8 to 10. So we've covered this before, that the 24 elders, the 24 causes of priests, represent the church in the book of Revelation. And another clue is found in Luke 22, 29 and 30. Jesus is speaking and he says to the disciples, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Which kingdom is that? The millennial kingdom on earth. It's a thousand years. And sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So basically Jesus is telling the disciples that they will share his rule over the world and especially judge Israel at the beginning of the kingdom. Now, verse 4 also says, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, who is being judged? Who do you think? Has to be one group of people. Which one? Tribulation saints, yeah, that's the way. Okay, yeah, tribulation believers. Those who come to accept Christ as a saviour during that seven-year tribulation. Because remember, everyone who starts tribulation at that time is an unbeliever because the believers are all raptured. So there's a few verses in Revelation that give us a background for these people. And I'm going to read just two of them. So the first one is Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, so this is during 
the tribulation. I saw under the altar, now this altar is in heaven, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's the unbelievers. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Now the question is, why would they be killed? Who's killing them? Well, the answer is in Revelation 13, 15-17, where it says, He, the false prophet, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast, the image of the Antichrist, to be killed. He, the false prophet, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, this is talking about the people in the tribulation who refuse to worship the Antichrist. So if you're not worshipping the Antichrist, who are you worshipping? It's only two choices. The people in Revelation 20 verse 4 are the tribulation saints. They're the same people in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. They're the people who in the tribulation were killed by the Antichrist for not worshipping his image or taking his mark. Remember, in the tribulation there's only two choices. There's the Antichrist and his religion or there's God. And it's going to be very clear. Now, before we get into the first and second resurrection and start explaining that, this is a difficult question. It's the intermediate state. Alright? So when, let's say I died now, before the rapture, I wouldn't have my glorified body yet, my resurrected body yet. Because that doesn't happen until the rapture. Alright? So, how do I exist? Well, we're going to try and answer that question. I'm going to be in heaven, there's no doubt about that. Since Jesus died on the cross and rose again, everyone who's a believer will go straight to heaven when they die, but they won't immediately have their resurrection body. A couple of hints here, though. In Revelation 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. And in 20 verse 4, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness. So, the soul, that's the immaterial part of you, right? So it appears that from the time after Jesus resurrected, those who have died believing and are awaiting their resurrection or glorified body will be in heaven in the presence of God, but <laughs> they will temporarily be like the angels in the sense that they only have a soul and spirit. Now theologians call this the intermediate state. It describes how a person exists from the time they die to the time they're scheduled to receive their new resurrection or glorified body. So again, this time gap or intermediate state is the time between our physical death and the time when we receive our 
resurrection bodies. Now it applies to all believers who died before the rapture, all the Old Testament saints and the martyred tribulation saints. So in the church age, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 and 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 53 both make it clear that Christians, dead or alive, get their resurrection bodies at the same time, at the rapture. So those Christians, or it implies that those Christians who have already died are bodiless, <laughs> if I can say that, from the time they die to the time they get their resurrection body. And the same goes to the tribulation martyrs, because Revelation 20 verse 4 to 6, which we just read, places their resurrection after Jesus' second coming, at the end of the tribulation. And in the case of the Old Testament saints, Daniel 12, 1 to 3, makes it clear that they won't resurrect or get their glorified bodies until after the tribulation as well. So they've got to wait quite a long time. Now, in the case of unbelievers, that's what we've just been talking about believers the whole time here, up to this point, the unbelievers, they will take part in the second resurrection. They too will have to wait for their resurrection body once they die, which will be at the end of the millennium. And they'll go straight to the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment of condemnation. But they don't go to heaven, they go to hell, they go to Sheol or Hades, the temporary place of torment in the center of the earth. We're going to talk more about that next week, about the second resurrection and the judgment, the great white throne judgment. But the point is that except for those who are blessed enough to go up at the rapture, and those millennial believers who are transformed at the end of the thousand year millennial reign of Jesus Christ, all other people who die will have to wait until it's their time to receive the resurrection body. And it appears that they will be bodiless until then. Bodiless. Without a physical body. So verse 4 also says, lived and reigned. So it says their souls were there. And then it says in verse 4, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The lived here in context means they received their glorified bodies. They were resurrected and received their glorified body. So I've got a quote from John Balvord. It says, Those who were the special object of Satan's hatred and the beast's or antichrist's persecution are now exalted, rewarded and blessed. They are declared to have lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The verbs are in the past tense but are obviously prophetic from John's perspective because he's looking at these events from the viewpoint of eternity future as if already accomplished. The expression they lived implies that they are resurrected and live again, similar to the meaning of Christ's statement in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. It is the resurrection of life mentioned in John 5.29. So remember, talking about the soul and body, you know, Jesus said, Satan can kill the body, but he can't kill the soul. Whereas the Father, you should fear him because he can kill both body and soul. At the great white throne judgment, it's that second death. Now, another question is resuscitation versus resurrection. Some people look at the people who are raised from the dead in the New Testament and the Old Testament. 
is that a resurrection? Well, actually, no, it's not. Yes, they were raised from the dead, but it's different. So let me try and explain why. So a resuscitation is like a drowning victim being without a heartbeat or breathing for a period of time, but then being brought back to life again once you give them CPR. You know, you give them a shock and whoa, they start breathing again, yeah? That's like a resuscitation in the sense that they came back from the dead. But Jesus was different. When Jesus rose again, he had a different kind of body. He had a glorified resurrection body. His was a true resurrection. So if you consider Lazarus in John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, come out. He came back and his body would have been the same age. If he was an old man, he would have resurrected, or not resurrected, he would have been raised from the dead, still an old man. He would have continued to age and he would have died as a mortal. And so Lazarus today, because we know he was a believer, is still waiting for his resurrection body. So he was resuscitated, but not resurrected. So now another question I want to ask before we jump into the, you know, going into the first and second resurrections is, why do we need a resurrection body? Why is this so important? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And a more easy-to-read translation is NLT. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So basically... We cannot be in the presence of God with these physical bodies. We need a new body which is designed to be in the presence of God. These bodies are sinful. Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 15, 35-49. We don't have time to read all that now. But I will read from verse 50 and this will give you the gist of it. Okay, So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50-57. to 57. This is Paul talking. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. This is the rapture he's talking about now. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the resurrection of our physical body is the final stage of a victory over sin and death. We will have been made perfect in every way. Body, soul, and spirit is what God has promised us. 
So now we're going to jump into what the Bible says about the first and second resurrections and go into different parts of the Bible and put it all together. Okay. So I'm going to read Revelation 24 to 6 and verse 14, and then we'll go into it. And I saw thrones, and they who sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived, resurrected, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, those who resurrect before the thousand years. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And if you go down to verse 14, it's got, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, the second resurrection, jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but the second resurrection results in the second death. If you're part of that, then you go into the second death, the lake of fire. And verse 4, one of the main things we get here, I want to pull out here, is that there is a thousand years separating the resurrection of the believing martyred dead from the tribulation to those unbelievers. They will be resurrected a thousand years later. So, our first death and second death, so you've got first resurrection and second resurrection, you've got first death, second death. So just explain that quickly. The first death is our physical death. So your heart, do 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 beep, yep, it's gone. Okay, that's our first death. The second death is a spiritual death. And the Bible defines the second death as the great white throne judgment because it represents eternal separation from the love of God. We never actually separated from the presence of God, but we are separated from the love of God because those people in the lake of fire will experience the presence of God in the form of his wrath forever. The first resurrection is a resurrection of life. The second resurrection is a resurrection of condemnation. Now, is it just in the book of Revelation that it talks about this? No. Jesus talked about it in John 5.28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So, as the book of Revelation is teaching us, so Jesus teaches us that there's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. One to life, one to condemnation. But the first resurrection is in several stages and this is where it gets a bit complicated. What the Bible has done, and we'll read about this in a minute, the Bible has given us a picture in the Old Testament of our resurrection. And the picture is the first fruits. It's a harvest. So think about the physical resurrection of our bodies as a harvest that God is going to bring. So, the picture in the Old Testament is the first fruits. So the first fruits was a Jewish feast held in the early spring at the beginning of the grain harvest. It was observed on Nisan the 16th, which was the third day after Passover, 
and the second day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. First fruits was a time of thanksgiving for God's provision. Leviticus 23, 9-14 institutes the first fruits offering, and the people were to bring a sheaf of grain to the priest, who would wave it before the Lord, and so we call that the wave sheaf. They would also bring a burnt offering, like a lamb or something, a meal offering and a drink offering at the same time. And you can also see Deuteronomy 26, 1-10. It gives more details on this first fruits offering. Now, no grain was to be harvested or eaten until all the first fruits offerings were brought to the Lord. So you have to bring your first fruits offering before you can keep on harvesting your crops, basically. Now, the first fruits offering is fulfilled in Jesus. We have in the Old Testament the type, and Jesus, as usual, is the fulfillment. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus' resurrection has paved the way for our resurrection. Now, think about this. Jesus was killed at Passover. And then his resurrection on the third day would have fallen on, and this in the 16th, the Feast of First Fruits. So the people are bringing in their wave sheath, their first fruits of grain, to the temple with their sacrifice, and Jesus has resurrected. He is the first fruit. He is accepted by God the Father. And therefore the rest of the harvest can proceed. And that's the same thing for the people bringing their barley. I think it was barley the first one. They bring the barley in, it was accepted, and then they can continue the harvest. So the main thing is that we need to get our heads around is that the first resurrection doesn't happen all at once. Just like the harvest didn't happen all at once. It was in stages. So Jesus' resurrection was only the start of a great harvest. Jesus is the first fruits. And here's a list of the phases of the first resurrection, the receiving of our glorified body. So, one, Jesus first, followed by many Old Testament saints who resurrected after him and appeared to many in the city of Jerusalem. That's like the wave sheaf. And then secondly, you have all the church, dead and alive, receiving their resurrection bodies at the time of the rapture. And you could say this is the beginning of the main harvest. And then you've got the tribulation martyrs and the Old Testament saints receiving their resurrection bodies after Jesus comes back to earth after the seven-year tribulation. You could say that's the continuation of the main harvest. And then the last part, the, the fourth phase, the millennial believers receive their resurrection bodies at the end of the millennium, ready to live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the conclusion of the main harvest. So the harvest is finished. So let's have a look at those things. So the first phase, Jesus and the many. So Jesus first. Why is he the first fruits? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So you can see how Jesus is filling this type in the Old Testament. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Adam resulted in physical death, Christ resulted in physical life. For as in Adam all die, 
even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. So this plainly tells us that the first resurrection is in stages. And I'll read the same passage from the NLT, New Living Translation. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And he's talking to the church there. Now, these people who resurrected at the time of Jesus, so Jesus resurrected first, and then there's these people who resurrected at the same time. It's interesting, eh? So we're going to read about that in Matthew 27, 50 to 53. And this fits into the wave sheaf phase of the first resurrection. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Notice that, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine that? All these Old Testament believers just coming out of the graves with their resurrected bodies and appearing to many. So again, this is the wave sheaf. This is the made up of the first fruit, or first fruits, which is Jesus, and then these other Old Testament saints who are described as coming out of the graves after his resurrection. So this is a sign that the rest of us will receive our resurrection body. Now the second phase, the rapture of the church. Jesus blows the trumpet of God and will meet us in the clouds. So in the moment and twinkling of an eye, our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies, our resurrection bodies. So every believer from Pentecost to the rapture will be raised from the dead, meaning that they will receive their resurrection bodies. And those of us still alive at the time will receive our resurrection body without experiencing physical death. So that's the beauty of the rapture, is we don't have to experience physical death, the first death. And of course, the references for that are 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and on, and 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54. So the third phase of this first resurrection the third phase or the third stage is the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. So this is the main harvest continued. So who are the Old Testament saints? Well, that's anyone who died putting their trust in Jesus as their saviour before the day of Pentecost. They will receive their resurrection bodies after Jesus comes back to the earth following the seven-year tribulation. At the same time, the tribulation saints, those believers who died during the seven-year tribulation, will receive their resurrection bodies. Now, why would they be resurrected together? Well, they're both under the law. How do we know that during the tribulation, God is 
working through Israel again and using the law again? Well, basically, how do we know that there's going to be a different set of rules concerning how to live and how to relate to others compared to in the church age? Well, the first thing is that during the seven-year tribulation, the Jews and Gentiles are segregated. They're separate. God deals with Israel separately to the Gentiles. Today in the church age, we are not segregated or separated. Ephesians 2, 11 to 18 says that we are all one in Christ. The middle wall of separation has been broken down. But it will be back there during the tribulation because God is dealing with Israel. Secondly, Daniel 9 tells us that seven years is the completion of the age of Israel, the last seven years of the 490 years allocated or decreed for Israel. As I said, this is the time that God is working on Israel. So he used their law to work with that nation. Thirdly, there is a return of the Jewish prophets, likely Moses and Elijah, signifying that it's, again, back in the, the old covenant. And fourthly, there are the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who fulfill the nation's mandate to be a light to the world. So it's, it's all about Israel. Now, scriptural proof for the resurrection of the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation. Well, we go to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and it says, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. So, the tribulation. A massive Terrible time where it's so bad that nothing will compare to it, either before or after. Then it says, At that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who has found written in the book. So we know that God will deliver his people. And at the end of the tribulation, there'll be that judgment. And they, the believers will go into the millennial reign. And verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So the soul winners will receive a reward, a greater reward. That's what it said at the start. We want to be thinking about this and thinking, well, I want people I know to be a part of this first resurrection. So, from here and Revelation 20, we know that the believing Old Testament saints will be resurrected just before the millennial reign and will then reign with Jesus for a thousand years. In contrast, the unbelieving Old Testament saints will be resurrected when? At the end of the millennium, that's it, yeah. And they will go straight into the, the Great White Throne Judgment, yes. Along with who? All other unbelievers, yes, that's right, from all the ages. Now, there's a good verse in Job which gives us a bit of insight into what the Old Testament saints believed. So, look at what Job believed and who Job lived at the time of Abraham. Okay, So this is also what Abraham believed. This was their doctrine back then, is what they knew about God and about the resurrection. So Job 19, 25-27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and he shall stand at last on the earth. That's the millennial reign, right? And after my skin is destroyed, that his body has decayed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So, after my skin is destroyed, the old body is destroyed, corrupted, decayed, that in my flesh, his new body, I shall see God. So even back then they had this understanding that they would get a new body and they would be in the presence of God forever. And look what Job said, how my heart yearns within me. He was keen to be in the presence of God. The direct presence of God. So the main point here is that the resurrection is not about our spirit and soul, it's only about our physical bodies. People say, the body's in the ground. Well, that's true. But your spirit and your soul, if you're a believer, are in heaven. Now the fourth phase, the millennial believers. This is, again, a continuation of the main harvest. So the fourth and final phase of the resurrection is the resurrection of the millennial believers at the end of the millennium. So all these people who enter the millennium at the end of the tribulation, those who choose to believe in Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins during the tribulation, will be allowed into the millennial period, but they'll keep their mortal bodies. They'll have kids, they'll repopulate the earth, and only at the end will they get their resurrection bodies. What about the people in the millennium who choose not to believe? Well, I'm going to read a scripture and it's going to tell us that those who do not believe during the millennium will not live past 100 years. So this is another millennial prophecy in Isaiah that we haven't read yet, so we'll get a lot from this. So it's Isaiah 65 verses 20 to 25. And it says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years shall be accursed. Now just think about that. For the child shall die 100 years old. (laughs) Conditions will be so good, even better than before the flood, when people lived to almost a 1,000 years old, that a person who is only 100 years old will be considered a child. Okay? So we're lucky today, really lucky if we get to 100. But in the millennial period, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, if you're 100, you're still considered a child. You're just young. Can you imagine being 100 years old and being called a child? So why? Boy, clean air, clean water, awesome food, you know, completely restored ecology, and the healing leaves of the nations will all contribute to this. And then it also says in verse 20, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So most take this to mean that if a person doesn't choose to repent of their sins by age 100, then they will die at the 100th birthday. Again, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Accursed means to be cut off. So this means that the, only the unbelievers born in the last 100 years of the 1,000-year millennial reign will be the ones rebelling with Satan against God. All the other ones would have died previously. And I think it's quite merciful of God 
to one, give them a hundred years to repent of their sins, but two, then take them from the earth. Because imagine that you know you hate God, your heart is so hard, you've had a hundred years to harden your heart against God. It's going to be awful for those people to live in the millennial reign because everything is good. If your heart is bad and everything around you is good, it's going to be very difficult. Think about what it is for Christians today to live in a godly life in this world. It's very difficult. We have a heart that wants to do right, but this world around us is constantly influencing us to do wrong, and it's a battle. So it won't be comfortable to be an unbeliever in the millennial reign. Then it says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So biologically, we're transformed, we're changed. We can live a long time. People who are alive in the tribulation and are believers will live right to the end. But it's also going to be a time of social transformation when perfect justice reigns on the earth. No one will be robbed of the fruits of their labor. If you build a house, no one's going to steal it from you. If you plant something, you will eat the fruit of it. No one's going to steal the food that you have grown. And God gloriously promises, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. There's no corruption anymore. Now, this might not sound like much, but we live in a fairly righteous country, relatively speaking. Most other places in the world, you don't have this security. Most other places in the world, the government, the gangs, the different people of different religions will just take what's yours. And it's not a just place, this earth. There's no fairness. But in the millennial period, it's going to be perfect. And verse 23 in Isaiah 65, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord. Notice, and their offspring with them. Notice it says there, For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord. Who are the blessed of the Lord? Those who enter the millennial reign. This is really interesting because here is proof. I'll just read that little bit again. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. Here is proof that there will be babies born and children raised in the millennial earth. The church, the Old Testament saints, and the tribulation saints, the tribulation martyrs, guess what? We're going to have our glorified bodies. We're not going to be married. We're going to be single. We're not like the angels. So the only people who can have kids are those mortals who come out of the tribulation as tribulation believers and go into the millennial reign. They are the ones who will populate the earth. Now verse 24, I love this verse in Isaiah 65. It says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. So, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. So, yes, there will be a biological transformation. Yes, there will be a social transformation. 
but it will be a time of profound spiritual transformation and intimacy. There will be an immediate and constant sense of the presence of God and his knowledge will cover the earth. So we have a relationship with God. We pray to God, we read his word and we we interact with God. But it's going to be so much better in the millennial reign. The presence of God will be so close. We think something and we've already got the answer. It's going to be amazing. So, and not just for the people with the glorified bodies, that's for the people, the believers, who have their mortal bodies. So not all people in the millennial reign will be saved. Again, sinful nature, pride, refuse to repent of their sins, refuse to accept that they're not a good person. How do we know that there's going to be some who choose not to accept Jesus as a Lord and Saviour and ask for the forgiveness of their sins? Well, at the conclusion of the time of the thousand years, Satan is released from his prison and many will join with him in rebellion against God. Again, it's all about choice, remember that? About choice. If God doesn't give us a choice, then we can't rebel against God if, if there's no opportunity to rebel. So God gives them an opportunity to reveal what's in their hearts. And Zechariah 14, 69 and Psalm 2 describe the firm rule of the Messiah during the millennial earth. And it talks about him dealing decisively with those who do not surrender to his reign and that he will enforce his righteousness over all the earth. So there will be those who try to rebel but they can't, not until the end anyway. Verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And we covered this before. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. There will be an ecological transformation. No predators, no victims. Instead, the wolf and the lamb will get along, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. So, the millennial earth, there's going to be different biology, different spirituality, different social norms, and a different ecology. So, what do we get from here? The main thing I wanted to get from that passage in Isaiah 65 is, the unbelievers will die at 100 years, and the rest will live a long time, like trees. Now, I did a Google search on the age of trees. And did you know that there's quite a few trees, some are still alive, that have been dated to be over 3,000 years old? So trees can live a long time. And so God knows this, and so he says, you know what, you're going to be like trees, you're going to live a long time. Now, to finish off, the second resurrection, the resurrection of condemnation. So we've done the first resurrection the wave sheaf, the first part, and then the the second part, the main resurrection, yeah? Jesus was the first part with the Old Testament saints resurrected after him. He was a wave sheaf. And then you had the three parts of the main resurrection or the main harvest for the first resurrection, the church, the tribulation martyrs, and the Old Testament saints. So the church at their rapture, the tribulation martyrs, the Old Testament saints at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and then the millennial believers who receive their bodies at the end of the millennium. So they're the three stages there of the main harvest. 
So four stages in all. Now, the resurrection and condemnation, the second resurrection. You don't want to be a part of the second resurrection. So all people taking part in the second resurrection, receiving their new bodies at this time, at the end of the millennium, are unbelievers. Okay, It's only for unbelievers. Every unbeliever from the beginning of time to the end of time will be raised bodily and will stand before the great white throne. Everyone who stands at the great white throne is condemned. There is no phases or stages for the second resurrection. It's a single one-time event that happens after the final war at the end of Jesus' 1,000-year millennial reign. We're going to talk about the great white throne judgment more next week. So we'll leave it there for now. Just remember that the second resurrection is the resurrection of condemnation. You do not want to be part of this. It's for those people who died unbelieving. They go to Hades or hell when they die. And then they resurrection from Hades or hell. And they stand before the great white throne judgment and are condemned and are sent to the lake of fire. So, just want to conclude by reminding you of the phases of the first resurrection, the receiving of our glorified body. So, Jesus first, followed by many Old Testament saints who resurrected after him and appeared to many in the city of Jerusalem. That was the wave sheaf, the first fruits. Then secondly, all the church, dead and alive, received their resurrection bodies at the time of the rapture. This is the beginning of the main harvest. Third phase, the tribulation martyrs and the Old Testament saints receive their resurrection bodies after Jesus comes back to the earth after the seven-year tribulation. So this is a continuation of the main harvest. And the fourth phase, the millennium believers receive their resurrection bodies at the end of the millennium, ready to live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the conclusion of the main harvest. It's all finished. So remember this awesome promise in Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such a second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So anyone who has part in the first resurrection will reign with him in the millennium. And that's how we know that the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, and us will all be reigning together with Christ for a thousand years during the millennium. So if you want to be among those who are blessed, who have part in the first resurrection, then you need to be saved. Repent and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins today because you don't know how much time you've got. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you've shown us about the first and second resurrections. Lord, we do not want to be in the second resurrection. And Lord, anyone who fails to accept your gift of pardon, your gift of eternal life, because of their pride, their refusal to humble themselves and admit that they're wrong, admit that they're a sinner, and ask for forgiveness. Lord, they will end up in hell, in Hades, and then will be resurrected at the end of the thousand years to stand before Jesus on the great right throne and they will be condemned 
there will be no forgiveness, there will be no grace. It's too late. And they will be sent, cast into the lake of fire, where they will be tormented forever and ever. So Lord, again, please give us a heart that has compassion for the lost. Help us to want to reach out to those who don't know you because we want them to be a part of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Amen.